Hello and welcome to Let's Go to the Movies, the podcast. I'm your host, Tess Hubbard, and welcome to the very first episode. Let me paint you a picture. It's July and you walk into your local AMC. The line to get popcorn is twice as long as it usually is and is brimming with pink. The sprinkle of people who are not in pink form a sharp contrast. They are wearing neutrals and looking rather focused. To the left is your friendly neighborhood film bro who comes here twice a week, but to your right is your aunt who hasn't been to the movie theater since the 2017 Star Wars movie Force Awakens. Yep, you guessed that right. You're seeing Barbenheimer. Today, we're going to talk all about Barbenheimer. Why was it so successful? Why did we love it so much? Why did your aunt, who never goes to the theater, go to see it? And why will it probably never happen again? For the small few of you who don't know, Barbenheimer took place on July 23rd, when Greta Gerwig's Barbie had the same release date as Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Maybe you're just hearing about it now, maybe you heard about it over the summer, or maybe you're like me, and you absolutely freaked out two-ish years ago when the release dates were announced. After all, there quite literally could not be two more opposite films from two critically acclaimed and beloved directors. One, a feminist spin on a plastic doll starring Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. The other, a gritty and dark biopic on Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb, starring Killian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. People went ballistic, predicting which film would make more money, which film would be more critically acclaimed, and preparing for a jarring double feature filled with costume changes and snacks. Now that Barbenheimer has happened, it is honestly hard to over-exaggerate how successful it was. Barbie outgrossed all Star Wars movies but one, every single DC movie ever, and has become the 14th highest grossing movie of all time. Oppenheimer, on the other hand, with less advertising and less family friendliness, per se, has grown to be the second highest grossing R-rated movie of all time and the highest grossing biopic of all time, which in the so-called age of biopics we are in right now is really, really impressive. And all of that is not even counting their critical acclaim. Barbie has an 80 on Metacritic, an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 4.0 on Letterboxd, while Oppenheimer has an 88 on Metacritic, a 93 on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 4.3 on Letterboxd. If you have no idea what that means, just know People really, really loved these movies. Let's take a couple steps back for a minute and talk about what I thought about these movies. Starting with Barbie, I expected to love it, and I absolutely did. It is one of the most fun movies I've ever seen. It doesn't take itself too seriously and manages to establish a world where absurdity and inconsistency are pillars of its existence. Think Will Ferrell's Mattel CEO that is completely unauthentic to our real world, but somehow, in the world of Barbie, fits perfectly. Or the one meta-narration in the middle of the film that points out that Margot Robbie is the wrong person to cast if you want to talk about not feeling pretty. People, at least in my theater, were laughing throughout just about the entire movie, and it really seems like Greta Gerwig and Noah Brombach, her husband and co-writer, agreed to go to whatever lengths necessary to make a joke or establish a bit, something that a lot of writers are afraid to do. On a technical level, the production design is some of the best I've ever seen. It encapsulates that plastic doll-like feeling and really emphasizes moments where we, as the audience, are reminded that we are watching dolls. The performances are stellar, 
Ryan Gosling has been getting Oscar buzz for a reason. He has the perfect dry delivery to his jokes, but also adds depth to a rather goofy character. Margot Robbie's performance is, in my opinion, underrated. She really anchors the film, telling the audience how to feel and when to feel it, while simultaneously balancing emotional depth and slapstick humor. The biggest critique I've seen of the film is that it isn't as deep or thoughtful as people expected or would have liked. To that I say, what more do you want from a movie about a plastic doll? Yes, I admit, it didn't tell me anything about feminism or femininity that I hadn't already heard or experienced, but it wasn't trying to. Yes, it may have been, to quote Barbie's critics, Feminism 101, but when girls and their mothers are sobbing in theaters, being touched by Barbie's realizations about being human in a woman, and when conservative people are taken aback by how radical the movie was, it is clear that we as a society need Feminism 101. We need to hear what Barbie has to say. All of that is to say, Barbie was fresh, fun, and miraculously accomplished everything it set out to do. Was it the most radical take on feminism ever? Of course not. But framing these feminist ideas through a plastic doll was a feat within itself. An incredibly impressive feat at that. Now on to Oppenheimer. To be completely honest, going into the theater, I didn't know if I was going to like Oppenheimer. Christopher Nolan had never really attempted a biopic, let alone a character-driven movie, and early reactions were slightly disappointing, commenting that it was more of a psychological thriller than a character study. Plus, right as the movie was starting, my slushy straw broke, so I had to awkwardly sit my blue raspberry slushy directly from the cup, which put me in a bad mood, for sure. But I was absolutely blown away. Pun not intended. Oppenheimer is a masterclass in filmmaking. It is sections of massive, not CGI'd explosions that quite literally blow you out of your seat, but also segments that focus inward on Oppenheimer and Downey Jr.'s character Louis Strauss as they grapple with their life choices. The cinematography is mind-boggling, the sound design is immersive, and the score is so good I added it to almost all of my playlists. Just a quick moment of appreciation for that score. Ludwig Gorsan grounds the score in violin, an incredibly effective choice that brings out Oppenheimer's humanity throughout the continuous shots of explosion. I was particularly blown away by the track Can You Hear the Music, which is just two minutes long with 21 tempo changes, which is insane. On top of that, somehow they managed to record it all in one take without editing all of the tempo changes together. All of these technical feats are tied up with, dare I say, the perfect ending. The ending subverts expectations the audience has been holding throughout the entire movie and forces people to think about the role of technology in our society. On that note, Oppenheimer feels especially relevant with the recent popularization of AI, I couldn't help but draw parallels between AI and the atomic bomb. Now, my one issue with the film is quite ironic, given Oppenheimer's connection to Barbie. I didn't love how Nolan handled his two female characters, Kitty Oppenheimer, played by Emily Blunt, and Jean Tatlock, played by Florence Pugh. Kitty kind of sits idle throughout most of the movie, and her emotions aren't fully understood, or at least I didn't understand them. Then she has this lovely moment where she defends her husband and takes on the government, but 
Because not much time was spent into building her arc, I couldn't help but feel as though that moment didn't live up to its potential. Jean Tatlock, on the other hand, kind of just feels like an excuse to use Florence Pugh's talents. Although her character plays a somewhat vital role in the story, we don't ever fully understand who she is or where she's coming from. She's rather a pawn to Oppenheimer's guilt, choices, and investigation. Both of those reviews are overwhelmingly positive, and that brings me to the number one reason why I thought Barbenheimer worked so well. People loved the movies. Yes, the hype was real, people bought tickets pre-sale having no idea whether or not the movies would be good, but a profitable opening weekend doesn't make a film successful. Longevity does. Barbenheimer's longevity came from the fact that people saw the movies twice, or even three times, if you're like me. And from the fact that people who originally had no intentions of seeing these movies just simply had to go see what all of the fuss was about. TikTok was freaking out over how impactful the What Was I Made For sequence in Barbie was, and Oppenheimer shot up to the number one prediction for the Best Picture Oscar on Gold Derby. This brings up a point that I see time and time again. No matter how much hype your film has, no matter how much marketing money you put into the project, if the consensus isn't that your film is at least somewhat of a good film, it won't be successful. Think Babylon, which had sky-high hype levels, but although some people, including yours truly, loved it, most people didn't, leading to a good old classic box office bomb. Alright, the second reason that led to Barbenheimer's success was that it wasn't a competition. As I mentioned earlier, the double feature definitely did start as a Barbie versus Oppenheimer situation. Like, will Warner Bros. beat their former golden boy Christopher Nolan? Will the serious bomb movie beat the fun plastic one? But this competition element did not last. It became more of a yes and situation. You weren't going to see Barbie or Oppenheimer, you would see both. I think this switch in framing stemmed from a lot of different factors. For starters, both of the films became so big that it really became impossible to pick from the two. Most people who watched movies didn't want to see just one, they wanted to see both. Also, the whole idea of a crazy, opposite double feature became so prevalent that many people wanted to see the movies back to back, or maybe with a nice brunch in between. Regardless, it became a thing to see them both together, which obliterated the question of which one will people see first. Finally, I think a big part of this came from the cast and crew's reactions to the double feature. Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig took photos with an Oppenheimer ticket in front of the poster, and Christopher Nolan called the double feature terrific, urging audience members to see both. So, because the rivalry between the two movies turned into a camaraderie, both movies were able to piggyback off of each other's success. Another important element to Barbenheimer's success is that it gave people a reason to go into the theater. In an era where so many movies are available on your home TV or even laptop thanks to streaming, most people need a real concrete incentive to actually go to the movie theater. By that I mean, simply seeing a movie won't always be enough. Barbie and Oppenheimer gave that extra push. Firstly, just the idea of a double feature, or seeing one, then having dinner, then seeing the other, is an experience that you could never have at home. Secondly, I would be foolish to not mention the costumes. When you go to Barbie, you wear pink, 
and slightly less prevalent, but nonetheless, when you go to Oppenheimer, you wear neutrals. I wore a trench coat-esque jacket and Birkenstocks to Oppenheimer, then walked out of the theater and into the bathroom where I changed into a neon pink sweater and five-inch sparkly pink heels. I took it to the extreme, as frankly many people did, but everyone, and I mean everyone, wore pink to see Barbie. That gives that extra element, an extra oomph, to people's movie-going experience. I have to mention, this isn't new or revolutionary. Many surprise hits in the past few years have had to do with movie-going experience. Think people dressing in suits to see the Minions movie, or people singing along to the movie Megan when Megan the Robot sings Titanium. Even just Spider-Man No Way Home encouraged audiences to literally cheer, adding the much-needed extra factor that gets butts into theater seats. Barbenheimer, with its outfits and all-day experience, took the movie-going experience to the extreme, and they definitely reaped the benefits for it. The fourth and final reason we are going to talk about is the way Barbenheimer has permeated pop culture. Now, this definitely pertains more to Barbie than to Oppenheimer, but all of Barbie's success benefits Oppenheimer because the more people go to see Barbie, the more people do the double feature. This summer, and even right now in this moment, you can't turn on the radio without hearing Dance the Night or What Was I Made For from the Barbie soundtrack, and you can't walk into a store without seeing some sort of collaboration between Barbie and a brand. Barbie's relevance, not just the movie, but the toy has skyrocketed as Barbie sales went up 25% following the film's release. Beyond Barbie, the whole idea of girlhood emphasized in the movie is huge right now. All over social media, people are talking about female camaraderie and this past summer was dubbed the Summer of the Teenage Girl, thanks in large part to the Barbie movie, but also because of Taylor Swift's Eras tour and The Summer I Turned Pretty, among other things. In short, Barbie has both influenced and aligned with cultural movements that allow it to affect you even if you have never or will never see the movie. Okay. All of this sounds great, and if you're a studio right now, you're probably thinking, how can I recreate it? Well, if you're asking me, you can't. Barbenheimer was organic. Two different studios happened to slot two opposite films for the same release date, and a large part of the hype stemmed from the audience, not the studios. If films try to do this again, try to market two opposite movies in a double feature, it won't be the same. Here's the best analogy I can come up with. Do you know when an artist will release a song and then try to make a TikTok trend out of the song, like a dance or a transition? They make the dance, post the TikTok, and encourage their fans to do the same, but it never works. Because TikTok trends have to start organically, from random people who post a TikTok and it blows up. I think movies are the same. Audiences don't want to be fed what to think or what double feature to do. They want to come up with it on their own. Also, because Barbenheimer was so successful, any double feature will probably just seem dull in comparison. After all, we've just spent 10 minutes talking about how all the stars aligned to make Barbenheimer so successful. And beyond Barbenheimer together, I don't know if Barbie's success can be recreated. A big part of this is that I think studios have really misinterpreted why Barbie has been successful. What I, at least, learn from this is that films that target women, not objectifying them or making jokes at their expense, can be incredibly profitable. But it seems that what Hollywood got from this is just toys equals success. 
Mattel wants to make a Hot Wheels movie, a Polly Pocket movie, and an Uno movie, among others, but Barbie was not a hit because it was about a toy. So I kind of doubt that this toy plus critically acclaimed director formula is going to work, but hey, I would be happy to be proven wrong. I would absolutely love it if the Uno movie is as funny and introspective as Barbie was. That was a lot. But I just want to end this with why I loved Barbenheimer so much, aside from the stellar reviews I gave both films earlier. It comes as a surprise to no one that I love movies. Going to the movie theater, ordering my slushy popcorn and Kit Kats is one of my favorite things to do. So it makes me really happy when other people are into movies too. When I finished watching Oppenheimer, I had a really interesting conversation with the person next to me about why we both loved Killian Murphy's performance. When I finished Barbie, a group of five moms and their 10-year-old daughters decked out in pink asked me to take a photo of them to commemorate their experience. And when I finished both, I saw friends and family who had never really been that into movies all of a sudden go back and watch Greta Gerwig's stellar filmography or Killian Murphy's other leading roles. In short, I just love how many people loved Barbie and Offenheimer. Alright, that's it for now. I hope you enjoyed all of my thoughts on Barbenheimer, and if you did, make sure to check back for more episodes of Let's Go to the Movies. See you next time.